Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. We just kicked off Bible in a year. Freedom Sunday is coming up. There is so much going on in our church and I hope that you came expectant tonight. I've been getting into the Bible in a year. Anybody else been reading the Bible in a year with me? A lot of you. It's awesome to, uh, to get into God's Word, and I appreciate so much that we encourage you to get into God's Word in this church, not because we think it's a good thing to do, but because uh, our lead pastors, Pastor Jurgen and Leanne, every single morning, they go out, spend quiet time with God, read the Bible, talk about the Bible together. They have an incredibly strong marriage. And Pastor Jurgen's been doing this for like probably 30 years. And I've never met anybody that the word of God just comes out of like Pastor Jurgen. It like bubbles out because he spent so much time putting it in him. So we know that we're in the middle of prayer and fasting week. Anybody praying and fasting? Good number of you. It's not too late to start. I encourage fasting like actual fasting, like not eating, because I've found it's the best way to shut up my flesh. And how many of you need your flesh to shut up sometimes? I know I'm not alone in here. Jesus said that many have tried to hear, but do not hear. And many have tried to see, but do not see. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. You know, we're in vision week, and it takes vision to be able to see. It takes sight to be able to have vision. Am I right? And we get our faith from hearing the word of God. So if we can't see and we can't hear, there's probably something wrong. Like to have vision is to be inspired. And the word inspired, inspiration means inspiration. It's the outworking of God's spirit in our life. If we are spirit-filled Christians, if we have a relationship with God and we have his spirit in us, his spirit should be pouring out of us. That's what it means to be inspired. So if I'm not hearing and I'm not seeing and I'm not seeing God's word coming alive through the work of my hands and the movement of my feet, there's something wrong. And I think that that's like something that probably a lot of people go through when it comes to Vision Sunday. You know, I've gone and written down vision when I haven't really had vision. I've written down things that I think I should write down because I think it's just expected of me. Okay, best shape of my life by April. Come on. <laughs> Every year starts out with ideas, but if they're not really God vision, and if I don't have his power working in me, a lot of times they're just sort of pie in the sky instead of something that really builds my faith that I'm able to see. So 
If we're not experiencing that, I hope tonight I can give some real practical pointers how to get rid of that stuff that's blocking us from seeing. That we should be seeing him, we should be inspired, moving with him. You know, in Luke 10, the disciples went out and miracles followed them. That they cast out demons, they raised the dead, they saw people that were blind getting sight, they cleansed lepers. And they went back and they talked to Jesus about it. And Jesus says this really interesting thing. He said, yeah, you know, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy. And you can walk amongst snakes and scorpions and crush them and nothing will injure you. However, do not rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are written in heaven. I think in order to move with power in a way that actually builds us up, in a way that strengthens our faith, in order to really have life-sustaining faith, we have to first know how much God loves us. Because if we don't know that we're saved by grace, Mm -hmm. if we don't know that it's not about our performance, We'll be looking for his power to overcome sin in our own lives, to try to do it ourselves, and we'll miss out on the whole point of the Christian life, which is to know God, to know that he loves you, that he's deeply in love with you, that his thoughts towards you are more numerous than the sand on this planet, that he is the author and the perfecter of your faith. He doesn't love you because you're perfect. He loves you because he loves you. And when you start to accept that relationship and not just, you know, I'm going to sign my name on the dotted line and then try to do it myself. But when you start to spend time with them, start to really get to know them and start to enjoy that relationship and his love, that's when he starts to transform you. You start to know that your name is written in heaven, in love. And then you can go out and operate in power in a way that won't make you power hungry. It won't destroy you. It'll give you life and it will give others life through you. And the sweet aroma of heaven will follow you wherever you go. If you don't have that, you won't experience a beautiful life in Christ. You'll be searching for power and you'll never get enough of it. I think that's what happened to the enemy is that he had power, but he just wanted more because he didn't know God. Are you following me? So in the Bible, actually, in all of ancient literature, there is nobody that's written about more than King David. We know more about his life than we know about any other person. And if you look at all of the ancient literature in the whole world, not just the Bible, there is no person's life, there's no single human being that was written about more than King David. If you look just at the Bible, King David is probably number one in who was written about the most, but then there's also Peter and Paul. And how many of you know that none of those three men were anywhere near perfect? But all of them were used 
powerfully by God. All of them knew God deeply, intimately. All of them knew that they were loved by God. And out of that love, they changed the world. King David is still being talked about. I'm talking about him right now, 3,000 years later. In Jesus' time, King David lived 1,000 years before Jesus was even born. Yet Jesus was known as a son of David. He was from the house of David. I don't know how many of you know the person that's the originator of your last name. I looked it up before service. I don't know if you know Pastor John, who the original Heinrich was. You know, he was a stud. It means he was ruler over his house. And I don't know if, you know, I don't know who knows who ruled so well over his house that he was actually known for that. My last name, Irvin, means beautiful. I don't know who was the most beautiful one. No idea. But David, 3,000 years later, people are talking about him, not because he was perfect. You know, David had a lot of accomplishments in his life. He was a great warrior. He was a great leader. He was beloved by his people. He was a great musician. He did a lot of great things in his life, but I think the thing that made his life so great is that he knew God's heart and he let God know his heart. So I want to talk about a story that I really think made the life of David. And it's not the story that you'd probably expect. It starts in 2 Samuel 12.1. This is after David made a really big mistake. So 2 Samuel 12.1, the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it and he grew up with it, with him and his children. He shared his food, drank from his cup and even slept with it in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now there was a traveler that came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. David was confronted by probably the worst thing that he'd done. But instead of having Nathan put to death, instead of trying to hide it, instead of trying to justify it, he wrote Psalm 51. And when people ask me, how do you pray at men's prayer? I say to pray like David. I don't say to pray, I'm just going to declare the miracle that I want in my life. Before I can do that, I have to declare the things that are wrong in my life so I can get right with God. 
because I know that when I have stuff that's not flowing in my life, when I'm not inspired, when I'm not walking with vision, when I'm not hearing, when I'm not seeing miracle signs and wonders follow me, that there is something wrong in my life. And I can absolutely declare for a miracle, but I believe that my prayers are heard best when I pray like David. So I want to go through uh, the first few verses of Psalm 51 with you. Psalm 51, 1, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge surely I was sinful at birth sinful from the time my mother conceived me surely you desire truth in the inner parts you teach me wisdom in my inmost place cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean wash me and I will be whiter than snow let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide my face from my sin and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit, a right spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. I think this is what makes David great. This is the moment when he could have chose one of two ways and instead of hiding, he confronted this thing that had existed in his life, I believe, since he was a little boy. And I was thinking about David's life this week and thinking about all I know about David as a man. And scholars believe that David was born out of a really bad mistake that was adultery. That he was a mistake in his house. He was the black sheep of the family. He was hidden because he was the shame of the family. He wasn't included in other family activities. They sent him out to go tend sheep in a place where there were lions and bears. I don't know about you, but if I was sending my son to tend sheep, I wouldn't send him out in a place where there were lions and bears. It's not a good place to tend sheep, if you know what I mean, you know. (laughs) David didn't receive love from his family. And I believe that that's in some ways what created his striving for greatness. That he didn't believe that he was loved or lovable. So a lot of people that are like that kind of have like a death wish or they don't really care if they live or die. So you see this young man showing up with his slingshot being like, I'll go slay the giant. You see the things in David's life where he took in his mighty man who weren't so mighty when he met them. They were the rejected, the despondent, the the refuse of society. And David invited them in because he knew what it was like to be those men. 
and he led them in a really great way that God used what the enemy intended for evil for good all through David's life. But David hadn't dealt with this love deficit that he had, so he was looking for love in all the wrong places. He had wives, he had concubines, but then there was this one that looked really, maybe, gosh, I've had so many, I can have as any woman that I want in the kingdom, but gosh, I don't know what it's like to be loved internally. Maybe just one more, maybe her. Maybe she'll be enough, maybe she'll fill me up. And then finally, he does the deed, he kills her husband. All of those things are pretty catastrophic, but he's confronted by a prophet of the Lord. David at this point knows God. He's let God see his innermost parts and he responds to God. Sometimes God will send a messenger to us and we can choose how we respond to him. David chose the right way and I really believe that that's what gave him his legacy and why we're still talking about him today. There were things that he absolutely needed to correct. There were still consequences from his sin, but because he responded in that way, He had Solomon, the wisest man ever, and I think this is the moment where David chose wisdom over choosing his own comfort. You following me? I know that all of us in our lives have a bit of clutter, clutter that keeps us from hearing and seeing God working in our lives, hearing his voice and responding to it. So my message today is called Declutter Your Soul. So David had a good amount of clutter. We all have a good amount of clutter. And I think that sometimes the maturity of a Christian is defined as to whether or not we can admit that we still have stuff in our lives that God's working us through. And the ones who don't, that try to pretend like they're perfect, end up really, really dysfunctional, even though they may have all the great ingredients. They may be in the house of God. They may be around great teaching. They may have great leaders, but they are blind and they are deaf because they're unwilling to admit that there's clutter in their lives. Most people, when they're confronted with sin, they just want to figure out how to avoid the consequences of sin. They're still blind to seeing that it's not sin is something that is unique to them. It's something that everybody deals with. It's something that is within us. Sin doesn't tempt us from the outside. Sin tempts us because there is something wrong in our heart. That nature is the unintended consequence of what happened in the Garden of Eden, and it's our cross to bear in life. And until we get that straight, there is very little hope of growth for Christians. So... I have a few points tonight that I think will help us all kind of get to that place. And I want to just give you a quick picture first of how this works in my life. I live in a house that is beautiful. I love the place that I live when it's clean. But how many of you know that houses don't clean themselves? 
You can hire a cleaning lady, but you will have to work in order to pay her. So regardless of whether she's cleaning your house or not, you are doing something to keep your house clean or it's a mess. Before I got married, I've worked on projects where I'm more of a sprinter than a marathon runner, and I'd work on these projects that were really intense where I'm working like 40, 50, 60 hour weeks for maybe two, three, four weeks in a row. And during that time when I'm really busy, I'm cutting corners a little bit in some things that don't really matter a whole lot, but they build up eventually. Like I would go put on some clothes, look in the mirror, be like, I don't know, I don't really like this shirt, throw it on a chair. But if you do that for like mm, month, eventually you got a pile of clothes, it's pretty tall. And I have enough socks to last me about 45 days typically. That's about how much will fit in my sock drawer. And I know if my sock drawer is like singles that don't have pairs, that it's time for me to do laundry. I would do things, I wouldn't be gross, I wouldn't leave food on plates in the sink, but I would wash the plates off in the sink, rinse that stuff down the garbage disposal, and then I would leave the plates there because I just didn't take it all the way to cleaning them all the way off and putting them away, so there would be piles in the sink. And when my house started to be like that, I didn't want to be there. Because I can't work in a chaotic environment. It like strips me of creativity and I'm just like, I can't, I want to leave. So I would leave. And how many of you know that you don't invite people over to a house that looks like that, right? So I would be avoiding my house all the time until I'd had enough of it. And then I would take a Saturday I would gather up all the dirty clothes, which by this time would probably fill five or six trash bags. I'd throw them in the back of my car, take them down to the laundromat, suck it up and pay like a buck 50 a pound for them to do fluff and fold because I don't have eight hours to clean my clothes myself. (laughs) Then I'd go back home, I would make my bed, and I'd start to put away all of the things that were in the house. I'd wash the windows, I'd squeegee the shower doors, I'd vacuum, I'd sweep, I'd rake up the leaves outside, I would do the dishes, and then around two o'clock, go back to the laundromat, pick up my clothes, put them all away, and when I was done, my favorite thing in the world would be to sit down on the couch in my house, look out at my house, and immediately I'm filled with gratitude for the place that I get to live in. Immediately, all of that stuff that was un under the clutter, I'm able to see clearly and appreciate it. And you know what my first thought is? I want to invite people over. Exactly. Let's have a game night. Let's watch a movie. Let's do dinner. I want to host. Because this, this is how God built me. It's not good for man to be alone. I'm meant to have people in my life. But when I start to let clutter build up, and the same is true for my inner life as it is for my house, when I let that clutter build up, it clouds my vision, it distorts my thinking, it makes me selfish, and I want to run away. You with me? Okay. So being open to receive teaching is very important. Point number one, a full cup can't receive any more than what it already contains. If you are self-sufficient, God has no room to move in your life. I used to think that I needed to be 
noticed that I needed to be accepted, that I needed to be totally full because I didn't have that growing up. I grew up without a dad. I didn't get those attaboys. So I really didn't know that I was enough. So I was constantly trying to fill myself up. And when somebody would correct me, instead of saying, thank you, I would try to justify how I was correct. Until I allowed myself to get emptied out, I could not grow. Point number two, past accomplishments don't guarantee current health or future success. Many people hide their dysfunction behind their accomplishments. And, you know, we see it in recovery all the time that people will come in and be like, well, I'm not shooting fentanyl. I haven't shot, like you sold my body for drugs. I can't possibly be an addict. Look at all the things that I've done. I still have my wife. I have my kids. I'm making money. My marriage may not be great, but it's pretty good. I can't be like them. And it's like, this doesn't matter. Those people don't matter. Whatever dysfunction is going on in their life, praise God that your life doesn't look like that. And then deal with the dysfunction that's here. It's not going to go away on its own and just praying for another dose of the Holy Ghost when you're not emptying yourself up so you can be filled up properly isn't going to help you. You with me? In fact, that can be so performance-based that it actually causes dysfunction of its own. Okay, point number three, living your life for the approval of others is both dishonest and self-defeating. I am guilty of this. I have, sh- I have shied away from sharing my faith with people, from talking openly about the truth with people because I've been afraid that they would judge me because they've had bad experiences with Christians in the past and I was either unwilling to be inconvenienced or humble myself in a way that would actually bring them healing. This is something that I need, like that I repent of regularly. It's something that I'm still working through and I've gotten a whole lot bolder. I mean, you might think, well, he's a pastor. He speaks, he wrote a book, laid bare his entire life for the world to see. I still struggle with this. And if I struggle with this, I know that there's other people that struggle with this too. Okay, point number four, we sabotage ourselves when we don't trust God for our success. Again, guilty of this, I had a mentor that told me to look up the word sabotage because I would come so close to success and then I would find a way to tear it down and do stupid things, stupid things that made absolutely no sense because I was so afraid that I was unworthy of success and if I actually got successful, I would have no idea how I became successful and I wouldn't be able to repeat it and the shame and the pressure from that would destroy me. So it was easier to fall just slightly shy of success or to only give 80% and know that I was holding 20% back so I didn't ever have to be faced with my own failure because I thought the pain of that would be crushing. What I found is that when I really trust God, I can jump off and trust that his hand is going to be there to catch me because I have a track record of knowing that he has always caught me. Amen. Amen. All right. Point number five, we hold on to the past when we don't trust God with our future. 
Pastor Jurgen said it today at the staff meeting that all sin is a trust issue. And I will say that all trust is a fear issue. So you may have seen the show Hoarders and may be familiar with the term. People hoard stuff, physical things, because they put their faith in things that they can see and touch rather than putting their faith in God. We can also do that spiritually, where we hang on to good things and bad things from the past. We can hold on to unforgiveness because it gives us a sense of power when we felt powerless in the situation. But really that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve saw God as not 100% good. And when you don't know God, know how much he loves you and know his thoughts towards you, it's easy to fall into that trap of saying, look God, I'm gonna trust you with some things and I'll believe it when I see you work, but I'm gonna hold back this thing because I don't trust you with it, it's too painful and I don't think that you care enough about me to deal with it rightly, this is mine. If you hang on to that out of fear, you will strip away all of the good that God is trying to do in your life. The Bible says if you don't forgive others, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. And it's not because he doesn't want to. He has purposed more forgiveness for you than you could possibly use up in an infinite number of lifetimes. But you can't receive what you're unwilling to extend that you become like Teflon to his forgiveness because you don't actually believe that his forgiveness is real. You don't believe that there is more for you than you could possibly ever use up and you don't see that people are just as damaged as you are, that hurt people hurt people. If you're still blind to your own sin and think that you need to be perfect in order to receive love from people and from God, you will not extend forgiveness to others. Okay. (laughs) And that trust that fear originates in a belief, point number eight, all fear originates in a belief that either God is not good or God is not there. And I can trace this down in my life. We do this process in recovery where we inventory our fear. And I can say, I have fear that I'm not good enough. But then I ask the question, why do I have fear that I'm not good enough? Well, I have fear that I'm not good enough because if I'm exposed for not being good enough, I'll be rejected. And I have fear that when I'm rejected, I'll be alone. And I have fear that being alone will be too painful to bear. So I'll do something self-destructive to get out of that pain of loneliness. And I have fear of doing something self-destructive because I have fear of dying and I have fear of dying because I have fear that God's not gonna be on the other side to catch me because I have fear that he's not there. Or I have fear of self-destructing because I have fear of dying because on the other side, I don't believe that God will accept me because I have fear that he's not good. But either the fear of he's not good or he's not there will animate all of the fear in my life. And if he's not good or he's not there, then I need to be the God of my own life. I need to provide for myself. I need to give myself vision. I need to give myself the strength to overcome whatever weakness that I have in my life because I believe that I need to be perfect because I don't believe in the one perfect one 
that I can put all of my trust in, that I can bring all of my brokenness to, that I can bring all of my shortcomings to, and that I know that when I bring the things that I fall short in, that in that, like David, he will mature me. He will give me wisdom. He'll give me strength. He'll give me a future. But I have to be able to bring those things to him. And if you know on this vision week that your vision has felt blocked, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. If you've been like, oh my gosh, that's me. I I think he's looking at me. I'm going to turn, you know. If you've been feeling like that during this service, I want to give you a chance to respond because I can tell you in my life that that time that I responded when I was aware of the sin that was in front of me and I finally was willing to bring it before God and to involve people in my life, not just for accountability, but people that had overcome the same thing that I had overcome and were open about it so that they wouldn't just give me a list of things to do, but they would start to love me and start to unpack the things that were mostly coming from a deep lack of love that I had in my heart. That there is so much that happened in my life and I know things that came into my life generationally. I only know part of it. Just like I don't know the originator of my last name, I don't know the sin of my great-grandfather times like infinite that could be affecting my life today. I know that science even says that trauma can be passed forward up to 14 generations. I don't know about you, but I don't know what my great times 13 grandfather was doing in the time before William Shakespeare was born and the traumas that he experienced, the heartache that he had, the things that affected him that may still be affecting me today. But you know what I do know? When I brought all of the things that I knew and all of the things that I didn't know to God, that's when he started to change me. And the only reason I believe that I'm up here today is because I'll talk about it. The only reason that David and Peter and Paul are in the Bible, the great men that they were that were able to be used by God is because they were willing to admit, I'm human, I need you. God was able to transform them. He can use a willing vessel. So can I get everybody to close their eyes and bow their head right now? And if tonight you're feeling like, gosh, I actually do feel far from God now that you mention it. I don't know that I'm seeing him. I don't know the last time that I really heard him. I felt that honeymoon period, maybe when I gave my life to him the first time, but gosh, I feel far. And the pressure of life has really got me down. When I count to three, I want you to raise up your hands so I can pray with you. Is there anybody like that in here? One, two, three. God bless you, 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 God bless you. More hands than I can count. God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. God bless you, God bless you up the back. God bless you, God bless you down front. God bless you, God bless you in the middle. God bless you, God bless you. God bless you over on the side. 
And if maybe somehow you slipped in here and you've never heard about Jesus before and just thought that Christians wanted you to be perfect and are hoping maybe I'll give you some lessons on how to be perfect tonight and you want to give your life to Jesus for the first time, I would like to include you too. Is there anybody like that in here? All right. While every head is bowed and every eye still closed, I just want you to repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you didn't need me to be perfect in order to love me. That you loved me before you formed me in my mother's womb. Father God, I thank you for tonight, for knowing your love on a deeper level. I thank you that you accept me, that you call me yours. I declare that heaven is my home, that God is my father. I thank you for Jesus' sacrifice, not just to get me into heaven, but to give me a life with you and with others. I pray you'd send your people to surround me in community, and I declare I'll let my heart be open to receive in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. All right, so... You have vision cards on your seat. If you didn't fill one out Sunday and you feel like God is speaking to you right now, take a couple of minutes. Don't rush off. Write a few things down and come up and get prayer at the altar. I'm going to invite the ministry team up. We're going to have ministers that are going to be up here to pray with you, to agree with you for the things that God is showing you this year. If you need prayer, also come forward, or if you recommitted your life to Christ tonight, we have a response lounge over here. We have some of the best people in our church that want to give you a Bible, a book called Following Jesus that'll make the Bible easier to read, and they want to connect you with next steps. We are not just friendly. We actually know how to be a friend in this church. Don't rush off. Come forward get prayer, and we'll see you back here on Sunday. God bless you. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.